Good to have you with us today. I'm so glad to see your faces. Uh, new and those who have been here for a very long time, it is great to be able to gather together. Before we jump into the Word this morning, I just want to review quickly uh, what we are going to be doing toward the end of the service. We are having a fire emergency alarm drill uh, today. Um, we have been uh, advertising that for a few weeks, and part of the reason why we're doing that is because it's been several decades since we have. Uh, we want to make sure we're doing it right, and so if it feels a little... Uh, chaotic or unsure, that's the point. An emergency situation is going to be unexpected and so forth. And so we're trying our best to make sure we do our best in those kinds of moments. Uh, there are a couple of uh, teams uh, that will be um, working at moving us out uh, safely and efficiently. We have a security team that's headed up by John Donaghy, one of our elders. Our trustees, headed up by our chair, Steve Wyke have been working uh, with a a variety of people to prepare us for today. Uh, Steve's even been interfacing with our uh, local fire station chief, and uh, they're fully aware that we are doing this drill. And so we are, again, trying to provide the best that we can in a situation that would be less than ideal. Uh, So just a couple of things to hit real quickly. Um, Principally, when the alarm goes off some point later in this service, Um, you are going to want to go out the nearest exit. Um, For those who might be new with us today, uh, in this room, there are a few exits uh, to be mindful of. If you're sort of on this section, you'll want to head out this door right here that says exit, and there'll be someone guiding and directing that way. If you're on this section over here, do not go to that door. That is a door to nowhere. Um, Go out behind this wall here where the glass is. You'll see an exit just shortly Uh, on the other side. Uh, And then if you're in the middle sections or toward the back, you'll want to go back through the lobby, but follow the direction of those who will be leading you. When the alarms are going to go off, they're going to be loud. And so be aware of that. If you need assistance, there will be others who will be watching for that uh, to assist you on your way out. Again, we're wanting to do this so that we can be best prepared in the event of an emergency situation. And this will help us tremendously. We do have a few slides. So as you can see here, Uh, in the worship center where we're at, which is our auditorium, uh, you're going to, again, like I said, follow those arrows out. Um, Please do not go down the stairs towards the kids' area. They'll hopefully already be out of the building by our children's ministry staff and volunteers. They have their own process to get out. You will meet up with them at a rally point that I'll show here in a moment. If you go to the next slide. If uh, the, this is describing what is happening in our children's ministry area, they'll be heading out the doors and, and um, they're going to be cared for uh, promptly. And so parents, you'll be able to re- uh, reconnect and rally up with your kids once we're out of the building. Go to the next slide. If this were to happen during our uh, Trinity classes hour, that's right before our service, and you are up in one of the adult classrooms or in the fellowship hall Uh, This would be the direction that you would go. You'd go out the stairwell down through the uh, doors that go toward Lund Road and then out to those rally points. And then lastly, this is sort of an overview of our facilities. Um, If you head out, some of you will be heading out toward the parking lot that's near Main Dunstable. Others will be heading toward uh, the Trinity office uh, on the other side of uh, the parking. And there's a home and then there's the Trinity office Some may head down toward the lower lot. There will be uh, people out there making sure any incoming traffic 
um, especially emergency vehicles in light of a, an emergent situation. Um, uh, be guiding people movement and traffic, and so just follow as directed. Um, and, and so those are the things that are, we're going to be doing. Um, you are f- comfortable enough to leave your things uh, when the alarms are off, and each rally point has a rally captain and says that you can go back into the building to get your personal items. You can certainly do that. Um, please don't leave in your vehicle uh, when the alarm goes off. Allow us to move people around to see what that looks like. Um, please don't leave until the alarms are done and the alarm is the, the drill is over. People can come back in here. Um, and then, obviously, with any alarm, you move right on to the picnic. We are having a church picnic that was rain, sort of weather bumped it to this week. It was supposed to be last Sunday. So we will have an emergency picnic uh, following our emergency drill. So those are, that's what's happening. Keep that in mind as you do go to leave. If you don't have to come back in here for any personal items um, and, and the, the alarm is over and the drill is over, please keep in mind people are going to be moving over toward our field. Uh, and so just be extra mindful of that today. Again, uh, this is so that we have a good understanding of what to do in light of a real emergency situation. We want to be as best equipped and prepared as possible And this will be a great learning experience for us all. All right. I think I covered most of it. Um, And if I didn't cover some of it, that's good because then we get to learn from that too. um, As emergencies are not planned and they're not easy. And so at some point during the, toward the end of the service, though I did negotiate it, it would be not during my part, um, but um, toward the end, uh, we will we will have a, a, an emergency. Alarm will go off, and there will be no direction coming from up front. And so, part of that is to sort of simulate the situation that could happen in light of an emergency. So, just be mindful of all of those things. Um, and again, um, we hope that it will go smoothly, and we learn a lot. All right. That being said, let's transition our thoughts from being prepared to being in the Word. And so if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open up your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 3. It was a passage that we were in last week, but we're going to return to it um, this week because we want to zero in on a single word uh, that is in that passage and what it might mean. Our series this fall is on the significance of the church. The church matters, that it matters, that it matters significantly for us and we're going to be looking at passages in what are called the pastoral letters. That's First and Second Timothy and Titus. In these three little letters, Paul is giving instructions to church leaders about life in the church. And so, there's really a whole bunch of things in these three chapter, or in these three letters that are relevant for us today. And all of it shows us that the church, this thing that we are a part of, is significant. That it matters. It matters to us. It matters for us. And I hope that it matters to us in greater measure. We're going to read verses um, 14 and 15 of 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 14 and 15. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Let's pray. 
God, as we come to your word, we desperately need you to be at work in our hearts. We've been filled with so many distractions, or maybe we have wrestled with many discouragements this week. Or maybe we know that those distractions and discouragements are coming for us in the week ahead. So God, would you bring great comfort to our hearts through your word? As we think about this thing called the church, it means something great to you. May that be true for us. Would you be with us as we consider it together? In Christ's name, amen. Forgive me for being a little bit autobiographical this morning, but I want to share with you about a pivotal moment in my life. It was when I was in college and I had just spent uh, a summer in California on a mission trip with a college ministry organization. I was invested with this ministry. I participated in the Bible studies and participated in evangelism and was engaged in leadership training. I appreciated so much of what this campus ministry did. I still do appreciate so much of what they've done. But as I returned from California, there was something weighing on me, some sort of unrest in my heart. That summer, it had dawned on me in a very real and fresh way through a very hard experience that the rest of my life was going to be spent in and with the local church. Wherever I lived and whatever I was going to do, the local church was going to be a huge part of it. So that year, I went to the membership class at the local church I was going to. I went through that process, became a member, and asked what I could do. Before I knew it, I was leading a small group of five high school freshman guys. And in some very real ways, I haven't looked back. It's been the local church ever since. Even as a 20-year-old, I was grateful for the membership process. I was grateful for what it represented. It meant something to me. And it meant something to the church. Now, churches have a variety of ways of of processing how we go about belonging in the life of a church. And churches have different ways in which they recognize that sense of belonging. Most churches will call the formal recognition of such belonging membership. That's right, church membership. Yep, a sermon about membership. (laughs) Whatever we may think of the term membership, I want us to think carefully about what it means to belong to the local church. So as we consider membership in the local church, I want us to see here that it is a a culmination of us sharing in some things together. Shared beliefs, shared commitment, and shared purpose. Meaningful membership in the life of a local church means it's a band of people who are trusting Jesus to live out their shared beliefs, their shared commitment, and their shared purpose. I want you to to feel the weight of that and the joy of that, to know that you're not alone, that you belong to something bigger than yourself, and that the local church itself belongs to something bigger than its locality. And all of it, God is supplying 
for us to experience something meaningful in our lives to encourage us toward Jesus and what we believe and how we live. That the local church and our belonging to the local church plays such a big role in it. So let's tackle that together. Let's look at one word in verse 15. If you would look again at um, 1 Timothy 3.15. If I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. So first of all, we want to consider these shared beliefs. And these shared beliefs are that we belong to something bigger than ourselves. We belong to the church. And the word for church means assembly. It means to assemble. It, it's the word ecclesia in the original language, but it simply means to, to assemble or to gather, or it means assembly or gathering. In Paul's day, the day that he wrote this letter, it had a very common agreed upon primary understanding, and that's this. It means an assembly of persons constituted by well-defined membership. It means an assembly of persons constituted by well-defined membership. It carried a greater formality than saying something like, hey, we're having a gathering over at the house this Saturday. It meant something a little bit more than that. It meant that you were, com- you were committing and sharing in something that you agreed upon. That there is a sense of agreement, mutual, from that which is the assembly and that which is the individual. That you're sharing in something. And, and so, the word for church was embedded with that meaning for hundreds of years before Paul's day. It would have been the word in the Greek language that they would immediately recognize as something that said, hey, this is an assembly of people with well-defined understanding of who they are, what they believe, and what they're living out as that assembly. That there was something about that. And as such, it's important for us to keep in mind what we talked about last week. Last week we mentioned that the church, the word church, can refer to the universal church, which is all of God's redeemed people from all place and all time, Or it can refer to a local church, which is a specific people in a specific place at a specific time. And when you read the New Testament, especially all the letters between um, the Gospels and the very end of the Bible, you find the word church is overwhelmingly used for the local church about specific people in a specific place at a specific time. Essentially, the local church exists to help people hear the good news of how to, be about, how to be a part of the universal church. The local church exists in time and place with real, actual people so that others can come to know Jesus Christ and belong to the universal church, all of God's redeemed people from all places and to all times. So belonging, then, to the universal church is lived out and the assembly of the local church. In their book, Rediscover Church, authors Colin Hansen and Jonathan Lehman liken membership in a local church to that of a passport. Let me relay one of the authors recounted a time his passport expired while studying abroad in Brussels. 
And so he went to the U.S. Embassy to get it renewed. Standing at the counter, I handed the clerk my expired passport. He asked me a few questions. He typed a few things into his computer. In no time, I received a new passport affirming that I am a U.S. citizen. The embassy didn't make me a citizen. I was a citizen by birth. But it did officially recognize and affirm my citizenship. It speaks for the U.S. in a way that I cannot, even though I am a U.S. citizen. And making the jump from that word picture, they said in their book, Rediscover Church, churches don't make people Christians, but churches are embassies of heaven, which Christ is tasked with affirming our heavenly citizenship. And that brings us to our shared beliefs. Passport stamp, if you will. At the core of what it means to be a Christian is new life in Jesus Christ. This means a number of primary things that we believe, that we share in together in belief. We believe together in who God is and what God is like. That God is great and glorious. That he is gracious and good. That he is the creator and he is the king and he is over all, and all of his purposes prevail. We believe in who God is and what God is like. We believe the purpose of mankind is to have a special relationship with God in which we glorify God and enjoy him forever. And we also believe in the problem of sin, which has broken that special relationship and has marred it in the way that we live out our lives. We believe in the rescuing, redeeming work accomplished by Jesus Christ. Jesus came to overcome the problem of our sin and to restore us right to God. That he lived a life that we could not live and died a death in our place and overcame an enemy that we could never defeat to give us a a standing with God that we could never achieve on our own. That he is the culmination of all of God's promises and all of God's Purposes in all of the pictures of the Old Testament culminate in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We believe this. This is our Redeemer. We believe in the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. That is the power of the Holy Spirit to make us new, to make us alive, to equip us with a heart that then responds to the good news of Jesus Christ with faith and repentance. And we believe in the Word of God as it declares to us the truths of who God is, what He is like the worth of mankind and the problem of sin, the saving, fulfilling purposes of Jesus Christ in his life, death, and resurrection, the powerful work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, all to the glory of God. I'm sure we could say that we are saved, we believe that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ, all to the glory of God, and this we get um, offered out to us from the word of God. These are the shared beliefs of a, of a local church. These are the things that we are, are committing together and we're banding together around. There's no greater news than that. There's no greater hope than that which we are sharing together in our beliefs in the local church. We believe the gospel message and how it makes a gospeled people. Now, there are some secondary theology and practical distinctions that make churches stand out from each other. There are Baptist churches and Presbyterian churches, and they believe different things about this and that and everything else. 
But at the heart, at the core of what it means to be a part of the universal church is the embrace of Jesus Christ through faith, fulfilling God's purposes and his promises to overcome our sin and restore us right to him. These are our shared beliefs. And certainly, Trinity Baptist Church has some additional specific beliefs about who we are as a Baptist church and and where we are in our part of the world. And all believers should take into consideration the primary things that make it a church and also understand the secondary things. That's heart and our shared beliefs. That in which we find revealed to us through God's word, to God's glory, wrapped up in the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, belonging to the local church is meaningful because we are drilling down in these truths for our encouragement, for our strength, for our hope, for for others to come to know them too. And also, as we do drill down on these incredible truths, it helps us to see what it is that we're committed to. And that leads us to the second aspect of the meaningful commitment to the local church uh, instills into our lives. It's not just shared beliefs, but shared commitment. That we are together on purpose. If the word for church is an assembly of persons constituted by well-defined membership, then we should understand some of the parameters that come with that as laid out in Scripture. The well-defined membership isn't just on what makes one a member, but also on what members are committed to together. What is the local church sharing together in commitment? Well, there are a number of things, and we're actually going to tackle some of those in the coming weeks as we go through First and Second Timothy and Titus. We're going to look at the structure of the church in terms of elders and deacons, and we're going to look at the character of the church in which the way we live out the things that we are to live out. So we are going to tackle some of those. So in an overarching sort of sense of what I mean by shared commitment, I want us to see that belonging in the life of a local church isn't just something that you come to watch, but something that you come to participate in. It's not something that you see, but it's something that you be. Sorry, but just stay with it. And, and if I could just give us something to get our heads and hearts around it, it would be the word intentional, intentional discipleship. What are we committed to together? Well, we want to intentionally help each other follow Jesus in this world. You get to live that out in the local church, that we are helping each other in meaningful relationships that we form with one another. Some of you are gifted in teaching and training, and, dis- and like walking through in one-on-one or in small groups or in whole group ways what it looks like to understand the faith and live out the faith. We need you. We need you to take that gifting and employ it in the life of the local church. Some of you are incredible at making people feel genuinely and really connected and cared for. Your heart just has the capacity for that. We need you to intentionally pour that out in the life of the local church. Some of you have gifts and abilities that help draw out worship and adoration from others. We need you to take that and intentionally pour that out into the life of the local church. This is the place by which we are living out our belonging to the universal church. And we need to encourage and equip and strengthen and help each other. And that's intentional 
discipleship, helping each other follow Jesus and what we believe and how we live. I'm highlighting that here because, again, we're going to look at servant leadership. We're going to look at the character of us doing that in these future weeks. But if I could just give you the umbrella, it would be, what are we sharing in commitment? Is that we will intentionally be in each other's lives to varying degrees to help each other, encourage each other, equip each other to follow Jesus. I love 1 Thessalonians. Small little letter in the New Testament. Incredibly um, Incredible little letter filled with a lot of affection from the author to this church plant that he helped launch. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, we get this description. We give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. What is intentional discipleship looking like? What does it look like lived out in the local church? Well, first of all, we see it's, it's bound around these three uh, important descriptor, descriptors of the Christian life. Faith, love, and hope. Those aren't, those aren't you know, we shouldn't look at those as like wall decor art kind of thing, right? Or candles or coffee mugs. They can be on your walls and on your candles and your coffee mugs. But, but, that's, but they're, they're meetings and the New Testament are actually quite, quite deep. This triad, faith, love, and hope, is a, is a picture of the Christian experience, and it's used by Paul six other times in his 13 letters. In fact, you could see it as a shorthand for the experience of God's grace in our lives. That over the course of our lives, we're growing in faith, growing in love, and growing in hope. Not in shallow sense, but in the depth of, of life in a hard world, filled with all kinds of obstacles and hardships. Some of which we bring on ourselves and some of which we had no desire to experience, and yet we experience them. Christian experience is one of growing in faith and love and hope. And that being in the context of the local church together, that we're committed together to help each other grow in our faith and our love and our hope. Now, I want to look again back at those words um, because there's, each one of them had an unexpected descriptor, an unexpected modifying word associated with them. So let's look again at, at what is said in um, verse 3. So your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. We see these three important, albeit unexpected, modifiers of the Christian experience. Work, labor, and steadfastness. Work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope. All three of those modifiers speak to the same thing. It's hard. Faith and love and hope in this world is hard. Don't expect to be able to do it alone. You need one another. And in that we find that God has provided us great, timely encouragement and help in each other in the life of the local church to grow in our living out of following Jesus. In fact, you can see a progression 
to this growth as each word requires greater intentionality. There's working and then there's laboring and then there's steadfast, there's perseverance. And if the local church is not banded together, how can we then help one another work and labor and be steadfast? We see this kind of intentional discipleship form through the meaningful relationships that are fostered when we spend time together in corporate worship, when we work through stuff together in our Trinity classes, when we share our lives with one another in life groups, when we serve together, when we grab coffee together and we say, hey, let's, let's read through this book of the Bible and talk about it, build each other up. And if we're not doing these things, then, then we're not leaving room for the ways in which God is going to work in us to strengthen us for the work of faith and the labor of love and the steadfastness of hope. The life in the local church is meaningful where we share these beliefs and we share this commitment. Not only that, but we share a purpose. A purpose bigger than ourselves, bigger than even our local church. Shared purpose. So if our shared commitment is together on purpose, then our shared purpose is together with purpose. Together with purpose. And our purpose is to make much of God. That's our purpose is that we are to make much of God. We're to make much of God through a variety of ways, but one of the overarching things that we need to realize is that the wonderful purpose of the local church is to make much of God. How do we go about doing it? Well, I referred to these three last week, and I want to refer to them again, just to stress that to our heads and to our hearts. How do we make much of God? Well, we do that through corporate worship. When I use the word corporate, I mean when we're all gathered together. Like what we're doing right now. When we're singing and we were praying and we're hearing the word. Some Sundays we're taking the Lord's table, the, or the Lord's Supper and communion. And some Sundays we celebrate baptisms. And in those process, that process, that's us gathered together to say God is, God is worthy and God is worth it. We say that and we remind each other that. We rehearse that to ourselves. That God is worthy and God is worth it. Do you think that coming in, gathering with everybody here on a Sunday morning, the profound privilege is that your presence with us, your voice going out in our singing and in us all together, coming together around the word or around bread and, and, and cup, celebrating around water and baptism, all of that, is us together saying God is worthy and God is worth it. We work hard at trying to do that in a way that encourages us to see it. Our, one of the ways that we do that is we want our order of worship from the beginning to the end to be shaped by the gospel. So we, we try to do that week in and week out as best as we can. That even the flow of our worship service is the unpacking of the gospel. We start with an awesome God who is worthy of all praise. Then we realize our need and neediness. And then we, we turn to the word and we see that Jesus is the fulfiller of our need and neediness. And then we respond with faith and with hope and with, with love in response to these things. We try to do that week in and week out. 
Because we want even the structure of our time gathered together to drive us to see just how worthy and worth it God is. We also want our time gathered together to be Jesus-focused. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's redemptive purposes. Jesus is the central storyline of the Bible. Jesus is the king come to rescue his people. Jesus is the substitute in our place, paying a debt we could never afford in order to give us a standing we could never gain. Jesus is the hero of all of God's ways and purposes, the hero of our story and of our lives. And when we get together, let us be focused on Jesus. And when we are together, we want to, to again lead our hearts to see that God is worthy and worth it. We have a doxological aim. So the hope of a gospel-shaped, Jesus-focused service results in doxology. That is, giving God the glory and praise for who he is and what he has done. As we hold up and hold out Jesus to our gathered congregation, the aim is that we, the gathered congregation, would together make much of God with praise and adoration and prayer and trust and hope and faith. So my hope is that when we gather to make much of God together in worship, you don't see that as a check mark to hit, and you can go about your day or your week in any which way you would like, but really as a point where you get to have your heart well up with, with hope and adoration for a God who is worthy and worth it. So we make much of God when we're together we make much of God through worship. We make much of God together on purpose in community, as we've said. Scripture shows us how much of God takes, how making much of God takes shape in community with each other and uses the expression one another to convey the, the, the practical, weighty sense of what that means. A couple of summers back, we spent that summer walking through a great number of the one another passages. There are 59 one another calls in the New Testament. 59 times the church, the local church, is instructed on how to one another. The expression is used to capture life in the local church and helps us see the practical significance of meaningful membership. Think about that. How do you know who the other one another is? How do you know? Think about all of these one another's, like love one another, have unity or live in, one in, in harmony with one another. Respect or honor one another. Welcome one another. Show hospitality to one another. Serve one another. Teach and instruct one another. Encourage one another. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. How do we do that? Without some sort of process that says we are all in together. Shared beliefs. Shared commitment. Shared purpose. And as we make much of God in worship... And in community, we make much of God on mission. A significant part of following Jesus and what we believe and how we live as a church is that we see ourselves as helping others come to hear and receive the good news of Jesus Christ. I love Matthew 4.19. Don't miss the profoundness of this verse through its simplicity. Jesus said to them, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. Jesus was speaking to Peter and Andrew. And he calls them into a life of worship, community, and mission. Consider Jesus' words carefully. First, he says, follow me. 
That's a call to a life of discipleship, worshiping and following Jesus, living as if Jesus is worthy and worth it. Then he says, I will make. This is the life of discipleship, be one of transformation. Jesus is going to make you into something new. He's going to help you grow and mature in your faith and life. And he says, fishers of men, our discipleship is marked with a mission to help others come to know Christ and follow him. There was a recent um, survey, some data that came out with some startling percentages. How much of that applies across the board, I, I don't know. You're always, you always need to be careful with them. But it was enough of a, a distinction to reinforce it here. The people will attend church for the first time. 86% answered because a friend invited them poured into their life, and brought them along. Only 6% said they came to a church for the very first time because a pastor did. 86% because a friend invested in them, walked that road with them, invited them, was with them through that process. That's not the whole of what it means to be on mission, but it does say we all are to be on mission. Some of you are going to be far greater missionaries in your life than I could ever be in this. Let us be on mission. That's the call. That's the hope. That's what this word church is wrapping up in this idea of assembly that we are committed together around these shared beliefs, this shared commitment, and this shared purpose. What does it look like in the life of Trinity? Well, we do also offer a membership class where we talk about these things at greater detail. And in that process, we want to affirm and encourage you in your faith. We want, to, we want to hear your story. And so while we share about what it is that we believe and what commitment looks like and what our hope is to live out that commitment together in, in the Nashua area, we also want to hear how God has been at work in you. We want to hear your gospel story. And so a couple of elders get to sit down with you and hear your story and affirm you and encourage you. And then from there, we recognize you in the, into the life of the church. We will offer those, that classes later this fall, and we hope that you're encouraged enough to go consider that. And it's in that moment in which you get to say mutually together, church and you, individual, you, person, you, Christian, that we're all in this together. That we're clinging together to Jesus. That we're clinging together to each other. And that in that clinging together, we want to see others come to know him too. The local church is meaningful. And belonging to a local church has a defined process that asks for mutual, shared beliefs, commitments, and purpose. And without that process, how will we know if we're sharing these beliefs and these commitments and purpose? So it's your way and it's the church's way to say all in together. And let us be just that, all in together. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would help us to see the place and point and hope and joy of what it means to be a part of the local church. Would you watch over us and encourage our hearts? Would you encourage Trinity Baptist Church to be the local church here? And we would see the worth and privilege it is to share our beliefs, our commitment, our purpose together, to share life together. God, help us to encourage and build each other up 
in knowing you and loving you and following you. We ask all of this, your glory. We ask it to our good. In Jesus' name, amen.